And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, July 21st. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, back here with you. Island Eno has returned to Eno at home, and it turns out Island Eno is one of our listeners' favorite characters, I guess we could say, we have on this show. Yeah, shout out to our YouTube commenters. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Keeps us laughing. Keep the comments coming on YouTube. You can ask questions there. You can always email us, of course. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email address. But on this episode, we're going to take a look at some second half storylines, kind of a second half preview. We're going to take a look at some pitching workload concerns, lots of pitchers that really fall into that. There are obviously the young pitchers who just haven't thrown a ton of innings in the past, complicated even further by the absence of a 2020 minor league season. We'll talk about the older pitchers who might have been dealing with major injuries in recent years who are pushing their workloads up. And then some of the in-between type players, I think Nestor Cortez kind of fits into this sweet spot of someone that hasn't been a starter for a full big league season before but appears to be in that role and thriving to the point where we just wonder what does August look like? What does September look like as those innings continue to pile up? We'll take a look around at a bunch of different categories, looking for some help for your rosters as the second half gets underway. We've got games again on Thursday, which I got to say the Wednesday after the all-star game is a, it's a lonely, lonely day. If you are a baseball fan, you go to the app, you go to the TV and you just look and you're like, this is weird. Like there's something's missing. There's just like a, Part, part of me is just gone. I just take the whole day off, mostly because, you know, I've just come back from, from covering, but also because it's a grind of a season, it's a long season, and then thirdly, because I don't really care about the ESPYs, so yeah. <laughs> no, there's no. not really a lot of sports on that I care about, so, you know, it's a day to, to watch other things, watch Murders on the Orient Express last night. Yeah, what's with the the murder stuff lately? I've been watching only murders in the building. I started watching that on the flying that I was doing. Yeah, that was fun. It's a good show. I've, I've enjoyed it so far. I'm through the first season. So if you are picking that up or have already watched it, no spoilers, please. I'm not a crime <laughs> podcast person, but I'm maybe on the brink of becoming one. Maybe that's an off-season project. Maybe we'll have a Rates and Barrels murder mystery episode at some point uh, in the winter. Are you advocating for a murder here? No, no. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for um, the next lockout four and a half years from yeah, now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who killed baseball? Who killed baseball? That's nice. not much of a mystery. I think we can we can figure that one out right away. But uh, we'll start with the pitching workloads. I think the, the young pitchers in particular, this is a group of players that every single year you look at and you say, great, I, I've done well. I've got Spencer Strider on my roster right now, or I've got George Kirby on my roster right now, or I've dodged a few raindrops with Mackenzie Gore and have been really happy with what I've got from him so far. But what's going to happen in mid-August, late August, or September when those guys are maybe just out of innings completely? And I think it's always complicated by each team's individual situation. I think in Atlanta, we've talked about them on the 3-0 show as a team that might benefit from adding some veteran innings to keep both Strider and Kyle Wright healthy. But I was doing some research before the show Kyle Wright threw 143 and a third innings last year between two levels. So I don't think there's that much of a concern with him. But Spencer Strider was at 96 and a third innings last year. So they have to be very careful with how they get him from point A to point B, assuming he's a huge part of their plans in October, which there's every reason to believe that he will be. What do we do? Do we use the stuff plus model? Do we try and, and look at other trends? Like what... What's going to be our, our North Star as we decide how to manage some of these young pitchers throughout the second half? It's completely lame, uh, but the only sort of snippet in, like viewpoint into this decision-making process by the pitchers, by the teams, has been that old adage from 
Alex Anthopoulos that I quote all the time. He said in press conference to everybody, amazingly, that when they you know, are deciding about their pitchers, they just kind of add 20% to last year's innings, and that's they only do it because that's kind of what people do. I'm willing to go to 25%. It's just easy math, and uh, I think it represents uh, some hopefulness. And then also... I'm willing to go to 25%, an extra 25% over the year before, for teams that are winning. So, you know, we went through the list, and for an example, is one of the players on the list, Roanzi Contreras is over his innings limit already, or his innings limit from last year already. Well, yeah, he lost time to an injury last year, which really complicates how hard they're willing to push him, because he finished with 61 innings in 2021, I don't think you look at that and say, well, we can only give him 15 and a third more this season. That's not going to work because you're, you're never going to get Ruanzi Contreras through a full big league season if you advance him like that. And I think he's a little easier to deal with just because instead of having a lot of missed starts between now and the end of the regular season, it's probably just you're going to go every fifth day you're going to pitch as much as you can and then you're going to hit an end point and then we're just going to shut you down for the season. The schedule management for the contending players and the workload management within starts adds two layers that are more complicated. That's just Yeah, it's true. But the Contreras is in the minor leagues right now. So, you know, I did make the decision to hold, try to hold on to him in a couple of leagues because I thought he'd be back up. Well, that's but 100% roster management though. Cuz yeah. George Kirby went down too. Those two teams are not actually demoting those guys. Yeah. But at, uh, at what's Kirby's number at? Kirby is at 91 innings through the first half, and he only had 67 and two-thirds innings in games last year. I think he had some injuries in the minors as well. So th- that situation is a little worse because the Mariners are in the mix for the wild card. And they're, they're going to want him for the postseason even. And I think that complicates Strider too. It's a little bit like McClanahan last year or, uh, you know, any number of players where they're young and then, you know, they want to they want they also very good. So they want them for the postseason if they're a good team. So, I mean, it's a lot of different directions. But I think, you know, I generally if they had a a, a fair amount of innings last year, I'm willing to add 25 percent. So for Strider, you know, it actually looks like. <clears throat> maybe 103 or something last year. Yeah, I had 96 and a third with my back of the napkin math, but around 100. Around 100. I think they could push push him to... Uh, man, could they push him to 150? Counting the playoffs? I think that's probably fair, and that's the hard part, counting the playoffs. Which is an a indeterminate number, too, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I think another 50 innings for Strider um, is possible. And that would be another 10 starts. 10 five-inning starts. Generally, is, I mean, it, the other part of this I don't like. I don't think innings are the way you should really track workload. Oh, yeah. Pitches thrown matters more. Yeah, pitches. And then also, um, you know, I do think the more advanced teams are tracking them through... Uh, their sort of health stats, their peripheral stats, stuff that shows up in their bullpens, you know, their their movement profiles, um, and maybe stuff, you know, like their stuff plus um, in general. But I, I would have to say that, like, we, we look through some players and almost all the guys that are running up on their innings limits are down in stuff plus. So Contreras is down uh, one point. One, you know, one point one. Uh, Keegan Thompson's down one. Josiah Gray is down one point three. Aaron Ashby is down one point five. Uh, Mackenzie Gore is down two point four. Spencer Strider's down four point five. Joe Ryan's down five. Uh, so th- that's a bunch of names that we care about that are near their innings limits, and they're all down. It does matter, I think. That you know, Strider was a reliever before, and that his uh, after in the before after scenario is still 136 stuff plus, which is the best stuff plus among any starters. Uh, so uh, I think we're not as worried about him. But but Kenzie Gore went from 100 stuff plus to 97 basically, uh, and we've seen it in the results as well. So there's kind of the eyeball test. 
Uh, Ashby's uh, is good before and good after, and uh, he's got actually uh, some innings in him, right? Yeah, he had 95 innings in 2021, but I think more importantly, Aaron Ashby threw 126 innings back in 2019. That, I think that matters too, yeah. Your previous high is probably where you can project a ceiling from. You take that, and if you're going to add 20% to a, a workload a pitcher has been able to hold up with before, tack 20% onto that 126, and that probably gives you a better idea what they're aiming for obviously looking at some of these more granular things along the way to make sure that it's smart and reasonably, you know, uh, properly guided to keep going down the path they're going down. Yeah. And I think there's also uh, a sort of a switch that gets flipped where there must be some sort of number where you get to, and they just don't care, you know, because I'm looking at Shane McClanahan and, you know, one of the reasons I did put him a little lower was I thought maybe they would play some games with him, try to keep his his number down. In 2021, he had 123 innings, but he also had postseason. Yeah, a few so more in the postseason. 128. You know, let's give him 130 innings. Do we think he's actually going to be limited? So if he's if you do 130, um, and you you uh, you give him the extra quarter. That's only 162 innings. So that would say that he'd have as many innings left as Spencer Strider. But that didn't seem right. And then if you look at his stuff plus, if you if you use that as like a tracking, he's up. But so. I do think the Strider thinking with McClanahan is sort of right. Because they want him to be fresh in October. It's not that they're not going to let him work every fifth day. It's that whenever they can... If they can get him out after five innings, they'll yeah. If they if they get a big lead, all right. Let's just take a little off McClanahan. I I think it's more like that. Sevens right now. Yeah, maybe it could just maybe he just becomes more fives before. Like like how he started the season. That's interesting. He started the season four point one, four point two, had two fives in the uh, you know, and the next four starts, and then started settling into six and seven. Right. So maybe that's how we'll see him end the season. Fours and fives. Or some fours and fives in in August, and then some more sixes once you get to Ramp late September. Yeah. That way, you're 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 not hitting that level of fatigue again and start. Uh, unless something, you know, unless the stuff plus, unless the the velocity, unless the release point drops, you know, they're tracking all these things. If there isn't any of that, they also want to win games and try to win the division, and improve their their wild card buy and all that stuff. You know, they're their wildcard seating, they're, they're not going to want to rest him. Just be like, hey, two weeks off, Phantom IL, I don't think, right? No, I don't think they'll do that. They kind of build back up and everything. It's not It's not good for them to stop. It, this, this to me, though, is one of the things we have to guess on the most, which is just terrible because situations so can vary so much on an individual level. Um, if you're worried about Tarek Skubal, you probably shouldn't be. 149 in the third innings a year ago, he should be fine. Josiah Gray is another guy. You should guy be actually, worried about the fact that he's not as good as his numbers, but that's that's beside. But he's, he was pitching well at the beginning of the season. Hit a bit of a rough patch. You know, it, it's it's still up and down with Skubal because he's still making adjustments, still figuring some things out. But mm. Josiah Gray is one of the younger starters. If you're getting cheap strikeouts from him in a deeper league, 92 innings already. Nationals aren't going anywhere. There could be an easy early shutdown case for Gray at some point. So it might not be this in-start workloads, kind of like we talked about with Contreras. It might just be that the time that you're using him ends up falling a little bit a little bit short, uh, which is disappointing, but understandable at the same time. I think I made a mistake. Uh, I think in, in sort of like NFPC formats where you have a, the short bench, you know, five to seven or whatever, if you have a, a short bench and Contreras gets sent down, or Strider goes on a short-term IL, or one of these young guys when they do that, I think you should actually drop them. I I think it would be the hardest with like Strider, but like with Contreras, I think I made a mistake. I I think I should have used the flexibility and dropped Contreras. Now I'm sort of made the decision, so I'm going to wait for some news in the next week or something, and I I assume that I'll hear some news about him coming back up. But same time, like I, I think. If you have a short bench and they're starting to play with them, you just don't know what the end result of that playing with them is. And if they're already over the innings they've done in the past, and especially if they're not on a good team like Contreras, I think that's a sort of perfect storm where you say, 
I love you, Contreras, and keeper in dynasty leagues. You know, I'm still acquiring if I'm if I'm if I'm not going to win this year. I'm I still want to hold you if I can hold and win. But in sort of redraft with a short bench, I don't know what your future looks like. I should just move on and just and be more flexible and have someone who can help me now. You know, so I know that that doesn't help you so much with Strider. It doesn't help you at all with Shane McClanahan. I can't imagine telling someone, would you tell somebody who's in a head-to-head league and, you know, they're worried about what the end of the year looks like for McClanahan, that they should trade McClanahan for a veteran? No. Yeah, I can't do it. I wouldn't be doing that. Now, I think the other question is, so what what other corrective actions are there? What else can you do right now? I mean, I'm thinking about my my Tout Wars team might be something similar to what other people are dealing with, where you have multiple pitchers we're talking about. You have some combination of, Mm -hmm. of two or three of these pitchers. I have Strider... Gore and Kirby all on that team. Hey, good job with young pitching so far. Problem is, you're not going to have nearly the volume you want in the rest of the season. So I've been trying to make those moves, trying to add guys like Framber Valdez and and make trades, flipping bats for arms, knowing that if I don't have more stability in that group of pitching, I am going to be chasing so hard on the waiver wire in the final six weeks of the season that my ratios will be in danger. (laughs) I won't have any fab money left. So you do have to start thinking about how you're going to manage this now. I realize if you're in a league like NFBC leagues with no trades, that becomes But you still have to think about like I'm talking about with Contreras. Like you probably should just move on. Kirby is down too, but I don't know. Kirby's performance has been better. Kirby's team is better. It just seems like they need him. It seems like he'll just be back up again. Contreras, I think, could hit some number like and just be shut down. Yeah, that's, you know? that's exactly how I see him right now. Like he'll if he gets to a hundred, like what did you, you said he had sixty last year? I think if he gets to a hundred, that's more than like adding twenty five percent. And it, but it 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 puts him on a progression where next year he could do one hundred and thirty or one hundred and forty, and then he could you know maybe be established as you know a more of, of a veteran like can make it through the season type guy, right? So I yeah. think I think he could get to 100, and that's it. So now I'm talking about, oh, I might only get like 25 more innings out of him. Why did I keep him while he was down? <laughs> so I, I think I did mess that one up. But, uh, but yeah, when it comes to Kirby, I would hold. When it comes to Strider, I would hold. But, you know, if you are in, in teams that allow for trades, and if you are in head-to-head leagues, I think it, I think it's very likely that Strider moves to the bullpen for the playoffs. All the way to the pen, really. Yeah, because and maybe he can be a guy who gives them one or two innings. But just imagine that, like, you know, you have your veteran guys and then you have Strider coming in in the third or fourth inning in, in like, a wild card game. You know what I mean? Mm. Just blow the doors off the other team, right? So, and I don't think that he has necessarily has the innings to start all the way through the playoffs. And he also started the season as a reliever. So, you know, what was his conditioning like? going into the season how many innings did he think he could get this season how many innings did the the team think that he could get this season all those things matter because uh you know he's running up closer to to where he was before and then uh, they also have good other players right so i i would be a little bit worried in a head-to-head league redraft uh where i had strider wouldn't you well, oh, for sure. Just because it, it's going to be an unusual shape of those innings, regardless of the role they see for him in the postseason. Maybe they're just so excellent that you just hold on to it and just say, hey, if he's a reliever, then I got an, a guy who's going to strike out 14 guys for nine as a reliever. But you're still realizing right now you're probably going to need one more good starter once you get to that point in your season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
it's not just this group of young pitchers, though. I mean, think about Justin Verlander, Luis uh-huh. Severino, Noah Syndergaard. I think Carlos Rodon, to some extent, kind of belongs in this group yeah. of guys that have had big injuries in the past that year over year we're still worried about workload. I think Michaelis and Tony Gonsolin are two big success stories this year. I mentioned earlier, you know, Nestor Cortez doesn't really have the big injury, but it's more of the what happens to him? Like, where does his stuff go? So as you look at this group of pitchers, the more established guys that you're not necessarily backing off of as an organization because they haven't done it at some point in the past, but just the sweet spot of making sure they're as effective as you want them to be. So anybody from that group that really stands out to you is potentially problematic? Uh, it's amazing that you just named three names and you, and you said Verlander too. So that's that's four names. You know, Verlander, Severino, Syndergaard, Michaelis, Gonsolin, Nestor. Six names, whole six pack. Okay, Severino. Let me see. Okay, Severino is down in stuff plus, uh, but he's still at one hundred nine stuff plus. So it's pretty. It's still he's still in a good spot. The other four, the other five, all up in stuff plus. <laughs> it kind of gives me that feeling of like this is the good year. You know what I mean? Like they are feeling good. This is the good year. And and in terms of what the team's going to do with them, I can't imagine they're going to limit them. Like some of those guys are in walk years of their contracts. They don't want to be limited. You know, Verlander, Rodon, they don't want to be limited. They want to put as many innings up as possible because they're going to go back on the market next year. Syndergaard's on a one-year deal, so he probably wants to just keep going. Uh, I think Syndergaard's stuff is down. That's amazing. That's surprising. I've seen him being he's throwing things other than his fastball, but just generally his stuff is is not good this year. Um, uh, but uh, uh, but I think that a lot of the I think the veterans they you know what you were talking about with like the 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 past previous career high. I think with veterans they just they they look a little bit more to like what what did they do before this injury? What were they doing consistently before? What what you know. What is a reasonable expectation from them in a healthy season? Yeah, Gonsolin, as one example, had 128 innings way back in 2018, 26 starts that year between high A and double A. So you push him to 150, 160, and you say, yeah, we've, we're comfortable with that. And they've got a lot of depth. They've got a lot of things they can do to manipulate the roster if they want to. But the other thing with Gonsolin is, I mean, he's been amazing. 202 ERA, 0.84 whip so far, 11 wins. Just an absurd fantasy value to this point in the season. Regression is coming for Tony Gonsolin regardless. Even if we didn't have these workload concerns, we'd be looking we at him and saying, the All-Star game. <laughs> yeah, like if that didn't happen, you'd say, um, 350 ERA, 120-ish whip, and a decent strikeout rate. That's probably what you should be expecting from Gonsolin despite how great he has been up to this point. I did want to bring up a possible uh, strategy uh, with regards to what we're talking about here, which is um, I think there's a possibility that maybe you should just keep all these guys while they're pitching, not worry about tomorrow, and then when when the time does come that they are shut down and you have lost them, Replace them with middle relievers. And the reason I say this is there's a great piece by Mike Gianella up on Baseball Perspectives where he looks at in-season waiver wire pickups and where the production comes from on the pitching side. Obviously, the the, the top group is uh, starting pitchers. The 10 best starting pitchers have picked up this year on the wire. They are producing the most value. Miles Michaelis, right? That makes sense. So bulk innings, picked him up on the wire. You, you can he helps you in so many places K's ERA whip all that stuff great the next group and this is the next group of pitchers that has given the most value were the top ten middle relievers picked up this season I just think that's such a hard group of players to squeeze the value out of though because the calculators looking back are always going to lean heavily on those guys because the wins come through right I think. Predicting that is very difficult. Maybe not impossible, but very difficult. And you can start to get a sense of the good teams and how they use guys on a week-by-week basis. You can look and see, maybe on Sunday, you say, oh, actually, it's been three or four days since Michael King pitched, didn't pitch Sunday. Okay, this is a week to add Michael King because early in the week, he's going to get a, a pretty 
pretty big cluster of innings. Maybe you can you can micromanage it. I played that game with Keegan Aiken a little bit. The um, the only retort I have is this: the worst group of waiver wire pickups were the worst starters, because now you got bulk bad. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and if you've been streaming two start starters or or been scrambling for K's, then you know. Because, you know, I picked up Michael Pineda in at least one team for that two start where he was just the poop. I mean, did you did you see that one? It was like it was like he had like four innings against the Royals. And I was like and, and like and like three strikeouts in one of the starts. And the other start, he gave up like five runs and four innings. And I was just like, oh, man, why did I do that? Anyway, my point is that it does represent an avenue where you can say, you know, maybe I won't. Uh, go that far and wins but maybe these young guys and these good starters that i have right now kirby strider maybe these guys will give me some padding and wins and then i can just get somebody that'll pitch in the middle innings that won't necessarily get me saves but will get me a, a smattering of of w's and we'll have like a 12k9 and this will probably keep me afloat in in the strikeout rate and maybe i'm running out of innings too you know like maybe you have an innings cap and you just want to get the most excellent innings out of Kirby and Strider, et cetera, while they're in. Uh, and then you just put in some uh, some middle relievers at the very end just to, to, to make the best use of the remaining innings you have left. I just wanted to throw that out there as a strategy because, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a, a, an idea where you have to panic. I've lost Strider. I've lost Kirby. What do I do? I'm going to go out and buy a starting pitcher. I just wanted to throw that kernel of an idea in there that... You could just buy a reliever. Yeah, Ronaldo Lopez probably becomes your friend, especially in those innings cap situations you were just describing, because in a lot of ways, it looks like a really good starter for you. It's just over a much smaller volume of innings. I think the other thing to think about, too, when you imagine where some of the waiver wire value comes from, small amounts of waiver wire value, late season streaming becomes a bit easier because the bad teams get worse. And there are even some middle-of-the-pack teams that sink quite a bit because they have some players that start to get shut down. So it becomes a little easier just to... Trade it away, yeah. Yeah, just to throw the the Michael Pineda volume play that that burned you or similar plays that have burned all of us at some point this year. Could be better later in the season when they don't have Benintendi on the Royals anymore. Yep, you get more quad-A-type players in lineups at that point in the season. And that, I think, makes volume streaming a little bit safer than it might be at this point in the season. Uh, it's Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I wanted to maybe uh, throw some names out there. Uh, I think what you're looking for are relievers on good teams that are like the third or fourth best reliever. So it has to be a, a really a good enough bullpen where the fourth reliever is, is pretty good because that fourth reliever is the one coming in maybe in the fifth or sixth and, and vulturing that win. So names that come to mind are like Drew Smith, uh, maybe uh, Colin McHugh. Um, mm-hmm. You know who's a, who's the guy on the Brewers? I can just throw that one to you. It's not as easy as it has been in recent years. Suter's been getting hit. It was kind of Suter as the glue guy for a while. I think they have to trade for that guy. Maybe Gustave could be that guy. Milner's a little bit of a specialist. Milner's stuff has been surging a little bit. Got could be that guy. The Brewers don't have it quite the same way that they have in in recent years. And you know they actually you know they're built a little differently where uh, they have like the A squad anyway, and they don't like their fifth reliever has not always been that great. You know they kind of always had like the star three or whatever. Yeah, I'm wondering if the Giants have someone like that. Uh, I was thinking on the Yankees that Chapman could become that. I mean they're looking for a way to use him, right? Um, I think on the Astros, it's Phil uh, Maton. Yep. Yeah, he he comes in. I mean, Brian Abreu comes in sometimes, too. One of those two is an interesting play. Ronaldo Lopez is the obvious one, I think, on the White Sox. Ooh, the Dodgers have to have one. The uh, Rangers have one with Brock Burke. He's been really good so far. Uh, Phil Bickford was better. Hmm. Maybe when Trinan comes back, Gratterall's so up and down. I've seen Price vulture some some wins in in uh, in in LA. That's still like I 
I don't know. I I think the group of pitchers that that meet this criteria is is smaller oh, than you would think. I got one. Matt Brash. Yeah, that could work. They're using him in multi-inning because he still has that a little bit of that starter buildup in him. I think Matt Brash is is a, is a good pickup for people that are that are looking for this sort of thing. And they're so deep with late inning arms too that you don't really see him ascending in the other direction to become a source of saves at the present time. Yeah, and uh, for those leagues where you have the SBRP, he's uh, he's become valuable again. Where now you're just using him for reliever stats out of a starting pitching slot. As far as starters being used like regular starters, you mentioned a name before we started recording that I've seen available in a good number of leagues because, well, it's been ugly. And I know we talked about him at some point in the last six or eight weeks or so. Aaron Savali. I mean, if you're just the kind of person that this time of year you're looking at ERA and you're looking at some of the uh, predictive uh, skills-based numbers, not predictive, but the skills-based numbers like Sierra, there's a big gap. A 394 Sierra is actually a career best for Aaron Savali, but he's got a 617 ERA and a terrible whip. It's been strikeout per inning stuff so far. Home run rate's actually a tick better than it was last year. I mean, there's there are some positives here. And as we know, in the AL Central especially, there are some pretty favorable spots to use him. So I could see Savali being quietly a nice pickup and there's plenty of runway in terms of innings left on his arm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I had a piece about underutilized uh, pitches and uh, one of the things that came up was the uh, the slider um, that he has that it was rated well and he's not using it. Uh, he's not, we're not using that much. Actually, I think it was the, the cutter. Um, but I was pointing out that like, I don't know if he has a cutter and a slider cause they're actually pretty similar in, in, in what they look like. Um, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Savali is a reader, but, uh, the cutter has gone through the roof and he stopped using the slider completely. Um, and it's been wonders for his, uh, for his uh, stuff plus he's his stuff plus is now 106 in the last month he's one of the top five surgers among starting pitchers and it's a new mix and that's this is that's like 1.0 for me was one of the first things i ever did was look at, at at players that are pitching differently and then look at their mix and so he went from uh, using the slider and cutter, uh, using the slider more than the cutter, to now you not using the slider at all and using the cutter uh, about twice as much as he used to. Now he's cutter, sinker, curveball, uh, with some four seams mixed in, uh, I think, for whiffs at the top of the zone. And I think that could actually work. And one of the reasons I like that is the cutter is further away in shape um, than it was from the slider. It is from the curveball, right? So cutter, if you think about shapes... And if you think about mechanics and you think about doing this, cutter is going to be very different from curveball in terms of mechanics. It's not going to blend together. It's not going to become the same pitch. Cutter, curveball, sinker also gives you something against lefties. Um, and it keeps him off of, it keeps people off your fastball because right now he's throwing the cutter, the curve, and the sinker all 30% of the time. So I think that's actually you know a way that it can work for him. And I think he's absolutely someone to pick up off the wire. Uh, maybe depending on schedule, I would maybe look at have an eye for the schedule. But he's he's one of my favorites. I did a little uh, little look at surging uh, stuff plus numbers, and I've got a couple names off here that uh, he's one of the better ones. Keep in mind that Savali left to start last week with a wrist injury, so he's expected to be out until the end of this month. So it's a possible cheap pickup now, but you may have to hold him for a week or two before he's ready again, or you can just wait until he's actually healthy and make that move in some more shallow leagues. Here's one that's starting that maybe uh, you can actually just even pick up this w- for this weekend, uh, depending on the rules of your team. Um, and this is one I'm excited about short-term, Long term, maybe, but uh, but still uh, fairly excited about this guy, Braxton Garrett. Um, and the reason I'm excited is his stuff plus is also up about six and a half. And what's so great about that is he's a guy who's demonstrated good command. He's had good command, and now his stuff plus is 99. And now that doesn't sound like super exciting, uh, but for starting pitchers, that's I would say a slightly above average. I think starting pitchers are around 97, 98. 
because uh, Stuff Plus doesn't care about what your role is uh, necessarily when it when it just puts a number on there. So, uh, you know, Braxton Garrett now has slightly above average stuff, great command, I would say, and a really good home park. Uh, most of the matchups look good. Would I throw him in Philadelphia yet? I don't know. Uh, but no. No, you, uh, you would not. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's getting closer and closer to that point where I just like him enough. Um, and so uh, let that be sort of a clue as to how much I like him. I mean, I picked him up in a ton of NFBC formats. And, um, you know, I think he's I think he's one of the better pickups uh, out there right now. Yeah, definitely interesting name because the home streaming potential is very high when you're talking about someone that locates well and gets to make half of his starts in that nice pitcher-friendly ballpark in Miami. Uh, anybody else that really popped for you as far as uh, help on the pitching front, potentially, from the traditional starter workload perspective? Uh, I think Ross Stripling doesn't really have limits. I know uh, I'm not I'm not looking at his, his player card right now, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have a ton of innings last year. But he's a little bit more like what we've talked about where he's had innings before. You know, and and I also like from a team standpoint, I don't think you're like, boy, we better make sure Ross Stripling doesn't get hurt. I think you're just like, hey, he's a veteran, you know, we need him <laughs> and and he's pitching well. His stuff has surged eight and a half points all the way up to 98 uh, with a little bit of, of pitch mix stuff. His change up. Uh, and I talked to him about this recently uh, where he changed his change up grip. It's the best change up he's had. I think in his career. Um, so now he's got a legit change up. You know, he's worked his, his cutter. He's worked his breaking ball, breaking stuff to the point where it's pretty good. And he's got a wide array of pitches, uh, good command of those pitches. So uh, I think uh, he's a really good pickup. He's also like the opposite of Garrett where it's just awful matchups. So um I guess I'd be careful. I'd rather have a bench spot where and, and the ability to put him on my bench and not have to start him all the time, basically. Um, but uh, Jackson Kowar, for you super deep leaguers, came up and had a completely different fastball and a completely different slider, a whole new release point. He has awful command. Um, and so that's going to uh, make him just a wild ride, you know? Uh, but for, for the deepest leaguers out there, especially as a stash. Um, and then I like Edward Cabrera uh, as a uh, as a, a stuff plus serger um, that, uh, you know, deep leaguers uh, could jump on. Uh, he's an interesting guy to also think about acquiring if you're rebuilding uh, to think about for the future because it's, it's not completely sure where he is. And then lastly, uh, just two kind of guys that are up and down on waiver wires in 10 and 12 team leagues, even 15 team leagues. They're surging in stuff plus, though. They're on teams that need them. They are pitching a little deeper into games. Chris Archer and Marco, Marco Gonzalez are disrespected individuals. <laughs> um, and their, their pitching plus um, is still uh, way too close to average, but their stuff plus has climbed up. They're obviously flawed pitchers, but I like them more than I did at the beginning of the season. And, um, you know, Marco Gonzalez in particular will give you decisions. If you just need decisions, they leave him in a really long time. Uh, he's, he's been the leader in decisions, I think, over the last three years. Uh, Chris Archer is a little bit more like, I need strikeouts, and I need them in bulk, and, you know, maybe I'll start him every time he has two starts and, and get eight to ten strikeouts. And the ratios might not be bad from Archer, too, because of the way they're using him. 341 ERA, 126 whip so far this season. You mentioned the usage being slightly better. Uh, since June 2nd, he's made, I think, seven starts now, and three of those have gone five innings. Doesn't go much further than five. Hasn't gone further than five all year, but all of those starts have been in that span. He didn't make any starts like that through the first two months of the season. So it is more of a deep league play, but I have found myself cling to Archer in a lot of 15-team leagues where I'm desperate for pitching, and I think the second half could end up being a little better than the first half just in terms of that workload based on those recent trends. Um, I know he got scooped up over the weekend, so we haven't really done much to help anyone by talking about him as far as like making a move, but Max Meyer's numbers looked really good in the pitching model coming off that debut. Yeah, 
And I think that's an opportunity to buy because, you know, you know, his team is looking at numbers like that there. Um, and, uh, and it's one of those situations where other people would just say, oh, he's no good. Look at his debut. But the underlying numbers were very exciting and they poured it over from the minor leagues. On repeat, the Jose Urquidy faith uh, remains strong <laughs> on about, this pod. I was, I was, I was just, I'm looking at his page right now, and I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how I was trying to figure out how to lead him. Yeah, just on repeat. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's just on repeat. He's still he's still showing up. We're still trying to figure out when it's going to happen. Surging and stuff. Plus, <laughs> fantastic. The, yeah. the the Max Meyer thing though, that's kind of kind of like good, is that because he already missed some time in the minors. You might not have that slam on the brakes with the workload at the end of this season. He threw 114 innings last season. No, it's 111 innings. Math is fun. That's not bad. Not bad, right? So he's probably looking at the 140, 150 range. And so far this year, he is under 70 across all stops. I think the the dark horse in the, in the trade deadline is the Marlins trading a starting pitcher. I think they almost, they don't have to do it, but it'd be weird if they didn't, given the league-wide need for pitching and yeah. the possibility that a team is desperate enough to maybe even overpay to get it. I mean, just Pablo Lopez, like this is peak peak value for Pablo Lopez. I just feel like, you know, there is always the, like, in the offseason, you get more suitors, right? So you could have more demand. However, the more suitors that you gain in the offseason, these, these sort of theoretical group of more suitors, also includes a lot of teams that aren't going to be suitors in the offseason either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can say something pithy like, oh, in the offseason, you have 30 teams that, or 29 teams that could be interested, right? Not really. You know, the Orioles aren't going to buy now and they're not going to buy in the offseason either. You know? <laughs> so, like, could you add three or four teams? Maybe. However, on the, on the flip side, you get so much more desperation, you know, from from in season trades. So if you if you could go get Pablo Lopez right now and and get him for this playoff appearance and still convince your owners that or whatever that it's for the future and you know you've got him for more teams, man, I think I think you might get more for him at the trade deadline than you will in the off season. In the off season, you also have more sellers, you have more suitors, you have just more possibilities in all directions. So I, I think uh, it, that's the time to, to strike for them. And if they do that, then Edward Cabrera and uh, and uh, Max Meyer both get uh, and Braxton Garrett all still are in the in the in the in the uh, in the rotation. Yeah. And eventually, you know, Yuri Perez, a big part of that rotation there, probably early next season, looked really good at the Futures game. But Pablo Lopez is the guy that makes a lot of sense. And he's complicated because we haven't seen him log a full healthy season as a big league starter before at 104 innings right now it's the second highest big league total uh, in the last four years kind of came up in 2018 didn't have a chance at a full season that year of course but uh, makes a lot of sense if he's the guy that they're going to move and would bring back a lot because he's not a rental which is really nice for the teams that acquire him as you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Any relievers that are popping for you right now? Short relievers? Yeah, I I had a lot of John Schreiber pickups, uh, but if you've been listening to this, I think you uh, you knew about John Schreiber. Uh, one interesting name uh, that doesn't show up, and I know Tampa is just a total total mess, um, but Calvin Fauchet. Uh, really, Stuff Plus loves him. 157 Stuff Plus. Um, I, I See, I like the fact that he's a righty. And I know that they've been giving lefties some saves, and they have multiple lefties, so they don't have to save a lefty. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, I think that you would play the matchups, and it's more likely that you have a righty hitting at the end of a game because it's just more likely. You know, there are more righties. And so, therefore, I, I, I think Calvin Fauché and Jason Adam, you know, are are going to be guys that are more likely to be used for a save. Right? I, I'm looking at the last two weeks' worth of games. They've got a handful Adam of saves one. during that time. You go backwards. It's Adam most recently. Then it was Rayleigh the game before that. Beaks the game before that. Poche before Beaks. Three Back lefties. to Rayleigh. And then Four it was lefties. Adam, Adam like nine days before that. Yeah, so really, is another lefty. And then they threw, then you throw an Adam in again. I don't know, man. I I have uh, I have some shares of Adam. I don't actually have any shares of lefties. I'm playing it the way that I'm telling you, right? You know, like I'm not I'm not telling you one thing and doing something else on the, you know, in my teams. I have Adam, and I'm looking at Poche. So uh, maybe I'm wrong, you know. I also think Fire Eisen's going to come back at some point, and he was getting saves. So it's a it's an interesting group. I think we talked about Joe Barlow. Who do, you, who do you want? I don't I don't want Brett Martin. At least I don't because I believe in Barlow getting the job back for reasons we've discussed before. Like there should have been an uptick in K's. But the question for you is: Is Brett Martin just good enough to keep the job, no matter how much we believe in Joe Barlow's skills? And if the Rangers are a team that don't mix and match, then it doesn't matter. They just have two good relievers, and they're using the other guy to close instead of the guy we want to close. I could see them actually sort of pairing the two when they come back. I mean, left is the lefty-righty situation there. Uh, Brett Martin is surging in Stuff Plus, but it's he surged from 113 to 115, so it's not, um, it's not a, a game-changer necessarily, but... Uh, I have uh, picked up some Brett Martin, and there's there is a situation where he just he just keeps the he keeps the gig. One slight note is that you know they're a team that spent a lot of money, and uh, they could want to keep Barlow cheap. I mean, it's a it's a possibility if you if you spread the saves apart, then you keep them cheaper. I guess that is always a concern, but eh, I'm not. Not worried too much about it in that particular instance. I was looking at the Diamondbacks. I couldn't come up with a name that I actually like there. <laughs> I mean, Joe Mantiply is having a nice year. He's, but, he's an all-star, dude. What are you talking about? But do you really <laughs> trust it? It's a they great getting, story. I don't, actually. And they keep giving Mark Melanson. Uh, they still give him opportunities. It's such a bad idea. The... I mean, the Paul Seawalt situation, that just, he, he's the guy in Seattle. So he's gone. He's been picked up for weeks. So I'm not really chasing there. I think the Marlins bullpen has been a bit of a mystery all season. I know they just traded for Tanner Scott to get him from Baltimore when the season began. But if they're shuffling players around at the deadline, Stephen Okert could be pretty interesting. I know the model really likes him. I think he's the one of the best lefty relievers in the entire model and probably the best available to trade deadline lefty if they trade him and just keep Scott. So I think there's a path for Okert to become more valuable, though I think it's more likely if they trade someone in front of him as opposed to a different team trading for him for the purpose of making him their closer. Can I just say something real quick? God, man, being a reliever. Oh, 
It's is terrible. Hard life. Look at this. He has 142 games in the major leagues. Spread out over one, two, three, four, five, six seasons. He's been in the major leagues for six seasons, has 142 games. Guess when he's a free agent? 2027. He has one year of service time. Yeah, this is the other. So we talk about oh the guys that God. that shuttle up and down, you know, in terms of just how difficult that is to just deal with that. But this is the other part of that player's profile that's absurd is that he wouldn't become a free agent until he's 31 years old now. He turned 31 a couple of weeks ago. He'll never be a free agent. He'll be 35 years old when he becomes a free agent. That's absurd. I do have some some hope for Bender actually getting the job back, and he did begin a re- rehab assignment. And the model uh, still liked him, although he, it, not as much as last year. He was a little bit of a dropper, and I wonder how much the back had to do with that. Um, and they have a they have a bunch of guys that that are pretty decent in the model. I think they 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 have they follow something like this because uh, Anthony Bass one hundred nine stuff plus. Floro, uh, one one oh five stuff plus, Okert, uh, one thirty three stuff plus, and uh, Scott has always popped in this one twenty six stuff plus. The thing that Scott doesn't have that the rest of them do have is command. Um, so I actually think he's uh, on fairly shaky ground. Not uh, for a few reasons: trade, command, and then also just general excellence general yeah excellence of the other pitchers so i i tanner scott is the guy to have right now but if you like if you were in a position where you could trade away saves and someone wanted tanner scott i would trade away tanner scott seems pretty reasonable to me to uh to make that move i think bender's my pickup uh there behind him though I think the Yeri de los Santos in Pittsburgh is interesting. If they were to to decide to move David Bednar, I think I de los Santos gonna, is the guy. I don't think they're going to move David Bednar, and I don't think they're going to shut him down either. They they were using him to any stints and stuff. I think I think Bednar is their all star. They want to have something something nice that comes out of this year. I think I think he's good all the way through. We shall see. I had a mailbag question come in about a pitcher you didn't mention. When we were digging on the, the waiver wire group. Glenn Otto, who I think at one point had some pretty nice numbers in the model and still isn't bad, but this is becoming more of a, hmm, maybe what we saw at first is just not indicative of what he brings to the table. So in deep, deep leagues, this question came in from Tom. Do you see anything in the profile with Glenn Otto that makes you think he will be a successful big league starter? I like uh, his starts at home against Oakland. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, damning with faint, pra- faint praise, I guess. Um, he's a, a loser over over the fast uh, month in the model in terms of stuff plus. He's dropped uh, nearly one and a half uh, points of stuff plus. And um, uh, generally, none of his numbers now is over 100 uh, in terms of uh, command, you know, location, stuff. I like his slider, and anybody who has a 135 stuff plus slider uh, can be on my team. Um, and then the, the knuckle curve still rates as an above average pitch overall in stuff and locations. But the fastballs don't look good. And, um, you know, the sinker's a little bit better than the four seam, but he doesn't locate the sinker well. So he's going to have to figure something out and... I think it might be just location of the fastball. And if he starts locating the fastball better, uh, we can, I think, pay more attention again. I think you are describing someone who's going to be a very good reliever because mm-hmm. give him a couple more ticks and Drop consider him as... up, which he does, is not very good. and Right. Increase the knuckle curve and then, you know, fastball plays up a little bit and maybe you still have an occasional third pitch it's a pretty nice late inning weapon still having two breaking balls that are above average gives you still a chance and i i think he's the kind of guy that i would love to try again in in reserve rounds and bench rounds uh next year you know but this year uh, i'm just not seeing him as much more than a matchups play Tom has him AL only $3 as a keeper. I don't know if he's necessarily a keeper based on what we've seen so far. Probably a reserve for the rest of this season. Or I would in buy him the again lineup guy. next year for a dollar, I feel like. 
I don't yeah. I, like. I don't think after this season he's going to be much more in the dollar play next year, right? So I think, I think I would just try to buy him again next year for. I, I, there's enough. That, there's something there that is interesting, but I, it, it doesn't seem like a keeper to me. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it as it goes with Glenn Otto. The other pitcher people were asking about, uh, Nestor Cortez, kind of fits into the broader conversation we were having, right? Gets to be an all-star. And I think the the more I think about the all-star game and my general lean that it should be a snapshot of the past calendar year and just feature the best players in the game at that time, I do think you need a little bit of the surprise player mixed in too. And Nestor Cortez is a pretty good example of the reason why. As you think about what the second half of his season might look like, as the innings continue to pile up, is there any sign of, of Cortez slowing down based on how he's looked going into the break? Because the numbers look even better this year than they did a season ago when he moved into this role. Yeah, he's a stuff plus surger. I think it's mostly based on the fact that he's throwing that sweeper slider more. And uh i didn't i just i didn't uh, spot it i think i might have even had him on a leaderboard somewhere when i was writing about the sweeper but he isn't a really excellent sweeper and when i talked to him at the at the all-star game he said that the reason that he broke out this year or just he broke out with the yankees in general is they taught him the sweeper so between the four seam cutter and sweeper, I think um, you know there are other mixes he can do uh, he's had mixes before where he uh, through the cutter less than the slider. Uh, and he hasn't done that this year yet. So I think he's got a couple more wrinkles. And I mean it that way, like sort of literally and figuratively, because he still has all that deception when it comes to his delivery. Um, and uh, he said he's always had nat- natural command. And one thing that he've also pointed out to me uh, in uh, the interview was that he always had excellent numbers in the minors. Um, and that he it was just about porting them over. And I I guess I sort of missed that. They're not always incredible, but ever since he joined the Yankees, like ever since he sort of hit the Yankees upper levels, they have actually been very good. His first try, uh, his first real try at AAA, he had a 1.49 ERA with a 10, uh, 10.6 uh, strikeouts per nine in a, in 48 innings. Um, and then the second time he did AAA, he, he repeated it just with fewer strikeouts and a little bit higher ERA, but yeah. Yeah, I think he's probably been ever he's been excellent since they added the sweeper, you know. Um, and so, I guess I kind of believe in him. I don't believe him in and uh, this sort of uh, below three ERA. But uh, of the different projection systems, I will take the bats at the very least three seven two ERA one thirteen WHIP, uh, almost ten K nine. That's a, that's really nice. You're not that worried about the innings piling up on him then. I mean, he had 93 last... He had more than 93. He had 108 last year. Yeah, 108 plus anything in the playoffs. And in 2019, before he even got there, it was... Uh, he was over 100. He had 111 in 28... No, he had 120 almost in 108 in, in 2018. So, also just doesn't... Like, I don't know. It's 27. Let him go. But also, I don't think... I mean, you, you think about players that are the opposite of the, the modern fireballing pitcher and Nestor Cortez is kind of the opposite of that guy, right? He's not your your 6'4 guy that throws 99 all the time. He doesn't throw 99 ever. He's he's this 5'11 more finesse lefty that commands stuff really well and just seems to have everything kind of working together in sync. It, it's exactly the kind of profile that people can overlook because it's not he's not the prototype. He's not the the pitcher you'd create in a lab or create on MLB the show from a physical standpoint. And he and physically he also doesn't remind me of Andy Pettit at all, but generally there's a little bit of Andy Pettit there for me. Um, you know, sweeping slider, lefty, good command, uh some up and down results, so I I think this is a, a thing that can work. And I think that you know the big thing is uh that the stadium there actually plays best to lefties uh because the short porch is in right field. Um, you know, lefties at the plate. Right. So a lefty on the mound uh, that can reduce the f- efficacy of those lefties at the plate uh, can actually pitch pretty well at home. Yeah, interesting guy. And I think compared to a lot of the other pitchers we discussed in the show that we really like, 
a little easier to go trade for because you might actually have someone who rosters Nestor Cortez currently Doesn't expecting things to fall apart a bit in the second half. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Weird schedule this week, thanks to the airlines, but glad Eno made it back safely from Los Angeles. We will have another episode coming up on Friday. Be sure to leave us a nice rating and review if you're listening to this podcast on Apple or Spotify or any platform where you're able to do that. If you've got questions for a future episode, Rates and Barrels at theathletic.com is the best way to get those our way. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.